Asmodeus, from the Strange and Unusual podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and if you were brand new to the show, this show is all about Magic the Gathering, as well as some Dungeons and Dragons sprinkled in there, and whatever else I feel like putting in. Uh, today's show, we have a state of the podcast to address, where I go a little bit about what's happening with Magic with Zuby, the show. And after that, we will get into some magic, and then a little bit about Dungeons and & Dragons, and maybe a small video game review. S- small, depending on how long I feel like rambling on about it. Um, but before we begin, let's get some ads out of the way here, okay? Jazzy, what does the calculator say about the shipping costs? It's over $9! What? $9? There's no way that could be right! At LegitMTG.com, we don't charge shipping for any order over $2 or more. We're not like those other guys who make you spend an arm and a leg to get free shipping. Come on down to LegitMTG.com for all your magic needs and be sure to get that free shipping special. That's LegitMTG.com. Visit today. Hey everybody, Zuby here. Today we are going to discuss the state of the podcast, Magic with Zuby. Magic with Zuby is coming up on two years this February. It has been an honor, privilege, and pleasure to do this podcast. I've had the pleasure of meeting many people in the Magic community, pro players and content creators alike, and everyone else in between. Since starting this journey into content creation, it has come with its hardships. The feeling of talking into the void and no one listening, ensuring your content gets out in a timely fashion, and learning all new sets of skills such as audio editing and preparation, marketing yourself, and learning the ropes of social media. It's tough and it's definitely something no one tells you about when you take that dive into content creation. There's no easy way to go about it and it's personally frustrating when you see others that start along with you or who are newer that gain traction or notoriety faster than you do, even if you feel you did all the right things. It's hard not to compare yourself to others even when you tell yourself over and over again not to. Finding your voice and or place is hard and as a content creator I am constantly trying to find my place to see where I fit in and figure out why you should listen to me. I still haven't quite figured it out but I'm trying. Times change and my content has changed with it. When starting the podcast, I wanted to be the resource for players who were casual or FNM heroes and wanted to take that next step in competitive magic because at the time I was trying to do so as well. Though it was short-lived, it taught me a lot about magic and how you constantly focus on the game. And with a full-time career working 50 to 60 hours a week, plus with wife and kids, that was not possible and coming to terms with that was not easy. So the content changed to be more of an MTG news outlet and occasionally having guests on ranging from pros to content creators. When that got tiresome, I changed it to more of my personal experiences with Magic's and my opinions on the game. Now the content consists of Magic the Gathering first and foremost, but I have decided to add in Dungeons and Dragons when warranted, as well as other topics that I personally feel passionate about. In the game of Magic content creation, there is not much to discuss in the grand scheme of things. A new set comes out, 
you speculate on cards, talk about what decks are dominating, or come up with your own deck techs. In the podcast format, this is even harder since there are no visual cues and reading off cards can be mundane and boring and hard for the audience to grasp. There are so many magic podcasts out there that do this already, so I try and stay away from that. I figure if my listeners keep coming back after almost two years, they want to listen to me and my thoughts and opinions on things, so I've been trying to take that approach, but it's always not easy. When you've been diagnosed with depression and bipolar disorder, it certainly makes it hard to create content sometimes. Too many times do I fall in the pit of despair of, what is this all for? Why do I keep doing this? No one listens. It gets hard to get over those hurdles, but once I hit record and start talking, it becomes therapeutic in a sense. It feels good to get all those thoughts out there. So what is in store for the future of Magic with Zuby? We are nearing episode 100, and I'm hoping to go past that. I never thought I'd make it three months in when I started this podcast. I'm thankful for each and every listener who has ever listened to this out there. I don't go into what I'm hoping to do because with the way I operate, that can change tomorrow. I will say that the Magic the Gathering content will not end when I'm wanting to include more Dungeons & Dragons content, but Magic content will always take precedence, and that will never change. I am toying with some ideas on expanding my YouTube presence, but exactly... Not sure how I want to go about that. Maybe been thinking about vlogging weekly or bi-weekly about Magic or D&D, and this content wouldn't appear on the podcast, but just on my YouTube channel. I still have ideas for skits or musicals to put into the show, but those things take time and energy. I've thought about Magic Wazubi merchandise such as playmats, shirts, etc. Not sure if there's any interest for this, but I know I want some personally. Earlier this year, I did make some comments about Patreon, which led me to stopping my Patreon. My few patrons I had asked me to have it continue on for their sake, and I appreciated that greatly. The issue in question mainly was about seeing other content creators effectively beg for patrons or they would stop doing certain content. This led to frustration on my part, and the content creators in question were outside of the Magic community. These series of tweets received the attention of some bigger content creators in Magic, and they assumed it was about them. Without going into details, and it's all and still on my Magic Azubi Twitter, and you're all welcome to look for it. I tried looking for it, but it, I honestly couldn't find it. It wouldn't let me go back you know, so far, but I'm sure maybe if you Google it, you could find it. Um, And it led to a lot of people misunderstanding my intentions and confusing the context of the situation. I didn't apologize because I had nothing to be sorry for, and I still don't. What does that have to do with my Patreon? I stopped it mainly because I almost felt bad that people would pay me for content that is essentially free and will never be put behind a paywall. I'm deciding to bring my Patreon back, but better than ever. I want to make it more community-oriented and active, giving my patrons the ability to not only ask questions and have them answered on episodes or whenever they want, but also help vote for topics or pick a topic to discuss on an episode. May give, maybe give them a sneak peek or behind the scenes on with Magic Wazubi. Whatever the case may be, I'm bringing it back and wanting it to be better than ever. To conclude, the journey isn't over. There are still hills and mountains to climb. I will continue to bring you all the content that I think you will find enjoyable each and every week. Again, thank you to everyone who has ever listened to Magic Wazubi. All right, so how's it going, everybody? Uh, Hope you enjoyed that little state of the podcast. I don't know if I'll do it maybe again yearly 
or maybe every six months. I'm not sure exactly. So what has been going on in the land of Magic the Gathering? Well, they did announce the new dual decks, Merfolk versus Goblins, and I saw the list, and I'm not very impressed at all with either deck, and it looks like crap, but I'm still going to get it anyway because that's that's just what happens in my life with Magic the Gathering. Even though I look at something and be like, hey, that looks like crap, I'm still going to pick you up anyway because I'm too damn obsessed. <sighs> Uh, and then I saw the Rivals of Ixalan board game slash card game they released, and I'm totally confused as to what it's supposed to be and even how you're supposed to play it, but I know I'm going to get it anyway. So there's that. And then personally, me personally, very cool, I have been playing some Magic the Gathering as well. I didn't, I don't think I talked about it last week's, no, last week's episode I had the interview with breakfast with nerds with randy and paul which got to give them a shout out again if you are not subscribed to their youtube channel go and do it now because they are two awesome dudes who produce some pretty funny and pretty cool content as well so i don't even know why you're listening to me are you subscribed yet did you do it yet no what okay if you're driving right now just stop the car and do it i don't care just stop in the middle of traffic but anyways so i've been going to fnm been trying to go regularly i've been playing standard mainly standard and a little bit of EDH and some drafting uh, finally did draft Ixalan or Ixlaxon Izalan um, uh, yeah that's right Izalan Izalan whatever <laughs> but I've mainly just been Bruin not really Bruin but slinging yeah slinging you know sling that shit uh, slinging spells that kind of stuff, uh, slinging the teamer energy deck, mainly because one, that's the only deck I have without having to buy anything else. And two, actually that's a lie. I could play blue black control easily or Grixis control, but I'm not really, I haven't really been in the mood to play control. And the only other kind of decks that I'm seeing in the meta right now, you know, with approach or God Pharaoh's gift or the control decks even some of the aggro decks like the mono red or the green red aggros that I've been seeing, you know, that that aren't totally teamer or um, energy based, but sort of, you know, dinosaur based. I'm kind of like, eh. I, I mean, maybe something will come out of the pro tour that will just make me go, oh, my God, I need to play this deck. But as of right now of this recording, I, I'm only interested in teamer energy. Honestly, I'm not really that interested in anything else right now. And that's what I've been playing. So not last week, but the week before I went 2-2 with Teamer Energy. I beat, oh, the two losses I had were both against Blue-Black Control. Uh, the two wins I had were against Teamer Energy. And I think Mono Red or something. I can't remember, honestly, exactly what the other one was. But yeah, Blue-Black Control like just wipes Teamer Energy. I mean, not all the time. I can get in with a win if I get lucky, but you know. I mean, it's just sort of like how the game goes. You you get lucky, you don't. And then last week, yeah, it would be last week, I went 4-1. We actually had a lot of people show up for Standard, which was, I haven't seen it this pack since Cons of Tarkir, honestly. Or, no, no, not just Cons of Tarkir, but Origins. Um, yeah, because that was still at the height of, you know, Theros and Cons right there. So... And we had five rounds, and I went 4-1. I lost the first round against God Pharaoh's Gift. And I beat... What decks did I beat? I beat another God Pharaoh's Gift deck. I beat a blue-white control 
I think, yeah, it was a blue-white approach. I beat a tokens deck. I beat another energy deck, so that's four. Yeah, so I beat that and just lost my first round against God Pharaoh's Gift, and I got fourth place out of it and won, was it like 20 bucks, 15 bucks, I think, and just bought the rest of the check lands I needed from it. So that's good. The only check lands I'm missing are some drowned catacombs, which I need to pick up, which luckily they're getting more expensive, which is lucky for me. So that's awesome. And yeah, so I think that is about it for my actual FNM paper experience. Um, I did play a quick game of EDH. I played some group hug and proceeded to not really hug the group that much because I got mana screwed so bad. And then I did draft a couple weeks ago and did terrible because I still don't really know the set. And I do need to draft it again, but I've been kind of lazy. Um, I haven't been playing Magic Online at all. I've just had no desire. The only decks I have are EDH and Popper, and I've, I haven't I haven't really felt like playing either of those um, decks there. But um, I will say this. I am getting pretty damn excited about Grand Prix Atlanta, and... I cannot wait to go there and play some infinite side event challenges. That's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm not doing the main event. I have no desire for the main event at all. Um, I just mainly want to do side challenges, get some modern and legacy in, maybe some standard, maybe get some sealed in and just completely lose, but have a lot of fun anyway. So I'm driving up there Friday, that Friday. I'm, I'm not going to miss all the side challenges on Friday because by the time I get up there, it's going to be like six or seven o'clock. So there's no point in even going over there. But Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to be playing so much magic. I'm probably probably most likely gonna still love the game but not want to look at it for a few days just be like oh god i don't know how pros do this and yeah, th that is one thing i've always wondered i don't know how pros continue to play magic after grinding it for so long because i'm sort of of that attitude where if i play something for too long it's just you know you sort of get disgusted with it you're like ugh, i don't even want to look at it it's like eating too much of the same food you know you could love pizza but if you ate pizza every day for every single meal you're gonna hate pizza after a while not that i'm ever gonna hate magic but that's sort of the the the, the similarity or the metaphor simile whatever the fuck it's sort of what i'm getting at here but um yeah it's most likely okay i'm kind of done with magic but i still love it and i want to play more um, I'm planning on bringing my cube up there. Uh, hopefully, I will have the last bit of cards I need. Probably not. I've only got, I think I'm only missing. Um, I just looked it up the other day. One, two, four, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I'm only missing 11 cards out of the 180 cards that I need. And of course, they're all the most expensive ones. And I've just been too lazy to buy them because I'm kind of cheap. If you, if we want to go into that, not that I'm cheap. Well, yeah, I'm cheap. I'm cheap ass. And, um, but I'm also kind of like, I don't need them right now. I mean, I can still play the cube as is. It's not going to make or break the cube. It's just, you know, out of 540 cards, 11 of them aren't going to be in there. Oh no. You're probably not even going to see them anyway, but I am planning on bringing my cube up there, bringing some EDH and of course my standard modern legacy decks. Uh, going to be just bringing teamer energy up there. Uh, my modern Grixis Delver and then my legacy elves. And yeah, let's, I will definitely be reporting in how I do. So this is my plan for grand Prix Atlanta. I'm going to be bringing a 
a recorder up there with me that can record like 10 hours worth of content. And I'm planning on having, you know, recording my drive on the way up there, recording while at the tournament, you know, maybe try to interview some players or just ask them questions or whatever. And then also recording on the way back. Not that I'm going to be having record the entire drive there and back and all that because that oh god even i wouldn't want to listen to that but there may be you know two to three episodes of just the grand prix atlanta content it depends on how much i actually record so we'll we'll see from there i i I don't know I, i i do tend to talk to myself a lot while i'm in the car so get used to that um so i'm definitely excited about it it's november 10th as of this recording, which is on October 25th, it's like two and a half weeks away, two two weeks and two days away, and I'm excited. Very, very excited. Cannot wait. Um, super pumped and cannot wait to go. So hopefully you're going to have a lot of fun there and hope maybe meet some listeners. You know, If you want to meet up, hit me up on Twitter and whatever. We can find somewhere in the convention to meet up and, you know, Hey, you can be on the podcast. I'll record you or whatever if you want. So, boom, there you go. You can be on the show that dozens of people download or have downloaded in a year. So, yeah, there you go. So, there was another thing I wanted to bring up about um, with Magic that I that I was actually thinking about, I think, last week or the week before. And it was just seeing some new players come in the shop and play standard and whatever, and how they get so excited about, you know, magic cards. And oh, and this this thought also was brought up when I interviewed Randy and Paul from Breakfast with Nerds. Are you subscribed to them yet? Why not? Just go do it. Stop listening. Just turn off my show and go subscribe to them on YouTube and Twitter. Follow them on Twitter. But um. It was something that I think it was Randy was saying that he's still pretty brand new to the game. So he's still in that whole discovery phase of, oh, wow, you know, all these cards and all these interactions that do. And I still get like that, too, from time to time, especially when maybe, you know, a new set comes out and a card that comes out of a set breaks an older card. And you're just like, oh, man, I can do this now. And, you know, whatever it may be. But I kind of miss that ignorance of magic where you're brand new to the game and you're discovering all these ways to play because with magic with magic it's it's very there's so many ways to play a deck and or or not just a deck but a a game and there's so many ways that you can build a deck where you can build an aggro deck a tempo a control a mill deck uh you know, group hug deck. I mean, just so many different ways um, to build decks and how they play. I mean, you can play a deck where there's no creatures and you just win with spells only. Um, you know, that was really prevalent back in the old days of Magic. And, you know, talking to Randy just really made me think of, man, when I was a kid and I opened up a pack of Magic cards... It was just something that was simply awesome because, one, the artwork was unlike anything you've ever seen because, 
you know, I, I was playing Pokemon at the time and I had, and I was very into baseball cards as well too. Cause I can remember going through baseball cards and sorting them by team and by year. And, you know, I would do the same with my magic cards when I was a kid too. I still uh, have been neglecting sorting my magic cards, but no, I mean, you know, and just trying to come up with strategies as a kid. I mean, as kids, we didn't know any better. There were no game shops to play around. There was no one to teach us what was good, what was bad. So we just had to come up with whatever cards we had or could trade to each other that that was it. And, you know, I sort of missed that. And it's, it's hard because the more you play this game, the more you get invested in this game, the more cynical you become. People become very cynical. And it's, I definitely do it too. Whenever there's a new set, I look around and just see, oh, there's so much garbage in this set, so much draft shaft. And then you look at the rares and the mythics and you're like, "Uh, okay, this is only playable in modern. Okay. This may be standard playable. You know, this will never see play in modern or legacy. This is all just trash. And, oh, this may have a high price tag now, but it'll never be modern or legacy playable. Maybe it'll see playing EDH and, you know. Everybody goes through that phase and it's hard to get out of that phase once you're in it because you don't really see things as the wonderment as they used to be. If that makes sense, you sort of just see them as, okay, can I, can I play this? And it's, it sucks. You, you, I I definitely miss it. I don't know about the rest of you, but I definitely miss being able to look at a hell I, I miss when a new set came out and I didn't even know what cards were in it and just opening up and be like, oh, oh my God, these cards are awesome. But now with the advent of the internet and spoilers being prominent, as soon as a card comes out, everybody in the entire world knows about it. It loses that magic and that luster. So I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. It was just something I was, I've been thinking about and just wanted to get it out there and just say, hey. I miss being ignorant of Magic the Gathering, and I hate being cynical all the time, and it's really hard not to be, because familiarity breeds contempt. That's my final thought. So also last week, I'm excited to announce that I got to play some Dungeons & Dragons. Ah, I've been wanting to play it for so much, for so much, and for so long. And while I did have an online game, I guess now about a month ago, that online game was pretty lackluster and I could not understand the DM at all. Uh, He was a really nice guy. I just literally could not understand him with his accent. And with him not having such great audio, that made it really difficult. And so I just sort of left that game and it sucks, but oh well. So I was talking to the shop owner that's near me and just saying, Hey, let's try and get some D and D going at the shop and maybe, you know, eventually try to get more people interested in it and, you know, it roll from there, et cetera, et cetera. So I did a session zero slash session one at the shop last Saturday and, uh, only had three players. It was supposed to be five, but two of them ended up not showing. Well, no, one ended up showing in the middle of the session and just wanted to watch because, you know, a little unsure of how to play and all that. And then the other one just never showed up. Uh, no idea what happened. So whatever. Um, it happens. And um, so we decided to just play Lost Minds of Fandelver. I've DM this a couple times already with the family and with just the kid and I. 
And I figure, you know, Lost Mines is a pretty easy adventure to start off, you know, especially with some newbies there. So the party we have right now, just to give a little bit of a background, uh, we've just have three players. The fourth one is wanting to join on session two, but I don't know what character he's going to make now as of yet. He didn't mention a rogue, but maybe changing his mind. And so the characters we have are a tiefling or tiefling. I guess it's tiefling tiefling warlock with a background of an urchin. He was basically, you know, homeless all his life and, you know, never had any parents, was an orphan and all that. And I think the memento or trinket he has is a broken horn from one of his parents. He just doesn't know. Uh, the next one is your typical, you know, human cleric who is an acolyte. Uh, the player, he he's definitely a more experienced D&D player. And he's he's definitely pretty good at the game. And um, I think his character had a little, like, odd thing about him where you can't look him in the eyes or else he'll just get extremely mad at you. Just something funny and stupid. And then the last one, the the last one is a dragonborn paladin and this guy he's never played D before non none whatsoever so definitely helped him create the character and all that and but i like how creative he was with creating the character i showed him all the races he's like okay dragonborn looks cool because you know you're a dragon he chose a bronze dragonborn so he can shoot lightning out and then he looked at all the classes and realized that hey we're having a cleric and a warlock we kind of need someone who's a tank he didn't want to be a fighter because you know eh, fighters are kind of plain even though they are some of the best tanks but Paladin, you know, it was a cool choice. So he was a Dragonborn Paladin and helped him create that. So he was looking at all the backgrounds and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to pick Noble or Soldier or something because, you know, that's a typical Paladin. And so instead, and this is where it got pretty funny, was he chose the Outlander background. Outlander being sort of like a ranger in the wild who grew up in the wild. Not, not necessarily like a hermit, but someone who, you know hunts animals and um is knows how to survive in the wilderness pretty much um and he what i think what one of the bonds or the personality traits was he was raised by wolves so you have to think about this giant dragonborn paladin that is an outlander that was raised by wolves and it it was just pretty funny and the way he role played it was pretty funny too because if you know Lost Minds of Fandelver, when in the first chapter they go to the Goblin Cave where Clark the Bugbear is and where you rescue Sildar Hallwinter, there's wolves in there. So every time he'd come across a wolf, he would, you know, first try to befriend it using animal handling. And then when he would, he'd be like, Are, are you my mom? Are you my mother? <laughs> so I found that pretty funny. Um, they did a really good job. They man they they did come close to dying a few times uh during the bugbear fight with clark um they one of them did die but i mean since this was session 1 and you know the player wasn't that well experienced in the game i decided to be nice and let him get resurrected in fandolin saying hey there's a cleric over there that can just resurrect you and all that because you know, I'm trying to establish a D&D &D presence at the shop, so I don't want to be completely cruel 
in the very first session of D&D there, but I did tell him like, hey, next time you may not be so lucky and all that. And if we play other campaigns and there's no clerics there or any way, any ways to get resurrected, I'm not bringing you back. So I did establish that. And so he did understand. And you know, I, I try to be nice. One of the things I do love doing, and I think I may have talked about this before on the show, is when I DM and you are going to kill something, I want you to describe how you kill it. And the players really seem to love that because from what I understand, most DMs just say, okay, you kill it. But no, I want them to describe, okay, how did you kill it? You know, okay, you killed it. You did enough damage to him and all that, but I want you to describe like what you did. So they got pretty creative with how they killed these monsters here. So that was fun too. Um, definitely going to be DMing again. Um, you know, up this upcoming Saturday, going to try to at least, and uh, try to get through chapter two of Lost Minds, maybe dab in a little bit of chapter three there and i do want to do some homebrew but i kind of want to do some of these campaign books that i've bought because i not only have lost minds which is with the starter set but i've got the horde of the dragon queen and tie mats return or whatever and then i've got curse of strahd got tomb of annihilation and um i think that's all i have for right now but i do plan on picking up the other ones like storm king's thunder and princes of the apocalypse or whatever because i want to actually play them because one it makes it way easier on me for prep all i have to do is just read the book and sort of just figure out ways to dm these people or not dm but you know act as these npcs and how they're going to play the game but also gives it gives me time to where i don't need to prep everything um i don't need to come up with worlds and all this stuff and politics and governments and you know how the world works and magic and gods and deities it's all there for me not that i'm never gonna do homebrew because i do have two homebrew campaigns which i've talked about before it's just i like these pre-written campaigns because some of them are pretty fun uh the ones i have read through i haven't read through curse of strahd yet and i'm just now reading through tomb of annihilation tomb of annihilation oh man that is going to be a fun one. It, it it also, I'm kind of intimidated to DM it a little bit too because it, it looks it looks pretty tough to DM as well because you're having to kill, not not that you have to kill your characters. I mean, if not, if not a single one dies during the thing, then I've made it too easy. But you also, I also don't want to make it too, too hard. But uh, we'll see. We'll see there. So that has been some D&D I've been playing and can't wait to do more and i'm definitely going to talk more about the campaign um and yeah that's about it for DD there all right everybody before we get into this week's q a i wanted to discuss a little known game i'm not sure if a lot of you have heard of it it's a little known game called the legend of zelda breath of the wild and i don't think i've talked about it before on here i know i've talked to before before about it on vcr gaming but um so i finally got a nintendo switch and started playing breath of the wild again i did have it for the wii u and i played i didn't even play halfway through the game i just played a, a quite a bit of it and but when i got a nintendo switch i wanted to really focus and beat it on that and that's pretty much been my video gaming life for the past month is just breath of the wild and I finally beat it, 
and I guess spoiler alerts or anything if you haven't beaten the game yet. Um, so just give a little review about it. Um, so just a little bit about myself when it comes to Legend of Zelda. I have played every single Legend of Zelda game except for the Triforce Heroes on 3DS, which is the multiplayer one, and the Philips CDI Legend of Zeldas. Yes, I do count those because they are still Legend of Zelda games, even though they aren't part of the main canon or whatever. So I've never played those, but I have played every other single Legend of Zelda game out there. Just FYI, I have not beaten every single one, but I've played played them all and I've beaten the majority of them. I, am, I think the only ones I haven't beaten, besides Triforce Heroes, I haven't beaten the two DS ones, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, and I haven't beaten Zelda 2 before, because Zelda 2 is fucking hard and frustrating. Fuck that game. I'll beat it one day. I'll sit down and actually pay through it one day, and maybe I'll stream it, stream my frustration of that stupid game. But, anyways. So, Breath of the Wild came out, and... It was met with rave reviews, which is rightly so, because it was a very good game. It was a very fun game, too. It was a very, very different Zelda game, uh, with it being mainly open world and going at your pace and pretty much doing whatever you want when you get off the Great Plateau. You know, it's it's just such an open-ended game, and there's a lot of stuff to do. Uh, the first thing I did before even going after any of the main storyline missions and even going after any of the divine beasts was I played a long time to get the master sword. I searched high and low for shrines until I got 13 hearts and got that master sword, which I got to say, getting that master sword before doing any of the divine beasts definitely helped. Um, let me tell you that it made the divine beasts, all the dungeons so easy. Um, some of the things I did like about the game was the exploration was definitely fun. The music or rather the lack of music was pretty nice. It def definitely kept you more in the environment and definitely more in tuned with the game. You know, when you would go explore something and hear a sprinkle of music or something, it, it sort of did suck you in. The game does a very good job of sucking you in. And I got to say, the game does also a phenomenal job of you look at something and you see it in the distance and you're like, oh, it's not that far. And it takes you an hour to get there because holy crap, there's, you know, either a lot of enemies on the way there or you have to climb mountains and hills and try to figure out a way there. It's it's very, very deceiving to it that that aspect. Um, some of the other things I did like was I did really like the music on the trek up to Ganon when you go to Hyrule Castle and you're having to basically fight and work your way up to the Hyrule Castle to fight Ganon. Uh, the music there was definitely awesome. It was like a mix of A Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time and I think some... Uh, wind waker there too maybe or twilight princess i don't know i did hear some you know musical riffs from d the first two i mentioned for sure and um the the overall i really like the the collecting the armor sets too as well because 
you know, at first it gets a little annoying because it, when you're trying to get to an area that you don't have the armor set for, you know, like the cold armor or the sun armor or the lava armor, and you can't go up Death Mountain yet or you can't go in cold regions yet, that does get a little annoying. But once you get them and unlock them, it's not too bad. And um, it's I, I definitely like that. The cooking, while it does wear on you at first for a little bit, because especially in the beginning of the game, you're going to be having to cook a lot and making sure you're always gathering food. But near the end of the game, you'll have so much food that you haven't cooked yet that you can't cook anymore because all your food is full. At least that's how I was. Um, so the one thing that this game definitely lacks compared to other Zeldas is there's no like hand holding at all. I mean, yeah, you get a little dot in your map and that's it. And you got to figure out a way to get there. If you haven't unlocked that area's tower. And even then it's sometimes not even that easy to get. So if you're into the hand holding of Zelda telling you where to go and the linearity of it, this game may not be for you, but if you're definitely in the open world exploration, and this isn't this kind of open world that I've complained about before in other games, especially on VCR gaming, where it's sort of, Hey, you go to one place, there's a hub of quests, you go do them. And then you go to a next place. There's a hub of quests. Yes, there are side quests uh, in every town that you go to, but you don't even need to do them at all or anything. Some of them do unlock shrines for you, which help you be able to get more hearts or long, bigger, bigger stamina bars. But you don't have to do those quests. There are still so many side quests in my quest log that I don't even care if I ever complete them. Um, so there is that. Uh, the other thing that is definitely different about the game is the lack of dungeons. There's nothing but shrines in the game and the divine beasts, which are, are dungeons for the game, quote unquote, they're more like bigger shrines than anything. Shrines are sort of like very mini dungeons where you have to solve a puzzle and then you get a shrine piece at the end or, a Oh, fuck. What do they call it? a spirit ball or something? I forget the name of it off right now, even though I just played it the other night. Um, and once you get four of those spirit balls, you can go turn them in for another heart piece or another stamina bar. And at, since, like I said before, I got the master sword in the beginning before I even went to any divine beast, I got nothing but heart pieces. And yeah, so and then there are some other shrines that, you know, you'll have to fight a guardian uh, guardian are like little mechanical creatures that you have to fight. And then there's some shrines that are so hard to find and you may have to do a shrine quest to get them is once you get to the shrine and unlock it, you just go in there and get the, you get the spirit ball anyway, because you sort of figured out the puzzle unlocking the shrine. So, um, and th those are, there's 120 of them. And I think I've only found, over 60 of them so i have more than half done and it's taken me about 40 hours to beat the game um yeah so some of the things i didn't like about the game was definitely the lack of dungeons um and like i said shrines they try to be like mini dungeons and, and some of the shrines i will admit were a little hard to solve um but once you figure out you know what to do when um it's like oh it becomes easy after that you know some of the shrines you get in there and you're just like huh 
what the hell do I do here? You know, it sort of stumps you for a little bit. And that's what I loved about Zelda dungeons is because you'll be going along in dungeon and then you just get to a room and you're like, what the hell do I do here? That's why I like games like portal, you know, the puzzle solving type games. Those are always fun to me. Uh, the lack of items in legend of Zelda was definite or breath of the wild was definitely another thing I didn't like where you don't have your, you know, boomerang or hookshot or the magic rods or any of that and you know you do have these runes uh you have a bomb rune rune a magnet rune a time stopping rune that you stop time on something and you hit it a bunch of times it'll fly off or do something and then you have an ice rune which creates ice blocks out of water which is very handy if you need to travel you know, across a lake or across a river or something. And, and you use those runes and almost all the shrines you go to, to sort of help you solve the puzzles. And you also use them in the divine beasts as well. So those are your kind of items, but the, I did miss the, you know, the boomerang or the hookshot, especially the hookshot. Hookshot has always been one of my favorite Zelda items. So the, the lack of items was definitely a letdown. Uh, the lack of dungeons in the beginning of the game, the weapon system gets very annoying early on because your weapons are going to be constantly breaking. As you do get farther in the game and do become more powerful, you do get stronger weapons and they do break, but it feels like they take longer to break than the earlier levels. Um, and then same goes for shields and bow, bows and arrows. Um, they tend to break very easily. Um, you know, this is definitely a gathering game. You want to be able to gather parts to sell stuff, to build stuff, um, and stuff like that. Uh, some of the other things I didn't like, um, I guess this is spoiler. Let's just get into it. Ganon, the Ganon fight, I it was way too easy. And I know typically Zelda games, the boss fights are always pretty easy like once you figure out a pattern it's like oh hey this is what you do and you kill it it's easy but it was just sort of you know it was so hard to get to ganon like it was such a pain in the butt and i broke i don't know how many shields to get up to ganon for just fending off the stupid laser blast from the guardians and it's just like when you get to ganon you're just like oh that's it i think i maybe had to eat food two or three times just because you know, once you pick up on Ganon's pattern, it's he's so easy after that. And it's a little like, oh, and that ending. Let me let me tell you about that ending. Okay, Zelda games are not known for their story whatsoever. You want to know how a Zelda game plays out? Okay, Princess Zelda goes missing or is captured or something happens to her and Link has to go save her, recover the Triforce in some way and defeat Ganon that's the majority of all the Zelda games. Okay. Breath of the wild is no different. You have to go and rescue princess Zelda, but the way they did the story was you have to find your old memories because when link first wakes up in the game, he has no memory of who he is and he's been asleep for a hundred years and everybody he knew has died. So you go and find your memories and you sort of learn of what your friends were like and, you know, the other champions and how your relationship with Zelda was like and how it formed. And so like, oh, that's all really cool. You know, you start to get attached to him. Then that ending, it was just like, that's it? Really? So you fight Dark Beast Ganon. Um, then when you kill him, 
uh, Zelda comes out of the darkness or whatever and seals him away. And then Zelda just looks at you and is like, oh, hey, remember me, Link? Oh, you do. Okay, cool. And that's it. Hey, granted, that's not verbatim what was said, but that's pretty much how it happened. And then the end credits roll, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, that can't be it. That seriously can't be it. And then the end, then after the end credits roll, something else stupid happens. And, oh, that's right, they're, they're walking away from Hyrule Castle, and the spirits of the king and the champions are watching him and saying, like, oh, we did such a good job here. We, we saved everybody, and then that's it. It's like, wait, what? And so I didn't get the 100% true ending of Breath of the Wild. So I went and looked it up online and it's no better. It really isn't any better. It's sort, it just shows a quick little scene of Link and Zelda saying, hey, one of the divine beasts are broken. We need to go fix it. Okay, cool. And that's it. Just I, that ending was shit. Okay. Well, I, I compare it to Skyward Sword. If you played Skyward Sword, that that whole game, I really cared about the relationship between Link and Zelda. It really seemed they really loved each other, and Link just wanted to do everything in his power to rescue Zelda. And while I hated the fucking gameplay of it because the motion controls were absolute shit, the story is what kept me going. And that ending, you know, it was so nice and happy to see Link and Zelda together, and I was happy about it, and just you know, I felt so good about beating it. And when I finally beat breath of the wild and this is the ending I got, I was like, okay, that kind of killed the whole game for me right there. Now it's like, mm, I mean, the game was really, really good. Don't get me wrong. It had a lot of fun game, but I would not put this in my top five Zeldas at all. After that ending where it was just like, that was such a shit ending. And I know that's really probably petty of me, I guess, in a sense, because it was a really good game, but definitely not in my top five Zeldas, though. Uh, top 10, of course, but not top five. Um, so that was just my little playthrough of Breath of the Wild. And I don't know, just wanted to talk about it real quick on the show. And uh, if you enjoyed it, great. Awesome. If you didn't, I'm sorry I bored you. So, all right, let's get on to some Q&A here. All right, this week's Q&A is packed full of questions, so I'm going to try to get to everybody's question here. And if I forgot your question, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to. But um, all right, so here we go. Question one from Lazrak. Lazrak, who's asked many questions before. What are your thoughts on Iconic Masters? I think I've had, I think I've talked about this on an episode. Um, I think the set is absolute trash and just another worthless money grab. Um, there are good reprints in it that have been needed but as far as a set as a whole it is not iconic in any way whatsoever it should not have been named iconic masters it's it's just such a bad name and just rubs so many people the wrong way because while there are some quote-unquote iconic cards reprinted there's definitely a set as a whole not iconic at all so i think it's trash i'm not gonna pick it up at any at all um May pick up some of the cheap singles if I want them or if I need them. But other than that, no, it's crap. So there you go. Next question from Abaddon is what do you eat for breakfast? So during the week, Monday through Friday, I have lately been eating a protein bar. 
uh, because I have been working out again lately, uh, mainly just doing running. I'm trying to get into running because I've never been good at it. And I just want to try to get better at something since I can't really weightlift anymore due to my shoulder injury and having carpal tunnel, um, even lifting five pounds with that arm with that bum shoulder, it can hurt me and it sucks. And, you know, I can't afford doctors, uh, stuff because state of healthcare in the U S is absolute trash, but that's neither here nor there. So I've been running. And so I've been getting a protein bar during the week and on the weekends, just usually a bowl of cereal or something like that, because, you know, I don't have time to go and buy a protein bar or anything like that. Not that I don't have time. It's just, I'm pretty lazy and I don't want to. So that has been my breakfast lately. Nerdy Hojin asks, I would love to hear a segment about how you expect to perform during your first GP. Well, I'm definitely going to be having a lot of segments about the GP, especially after I attend. But if how I expect to perform during my first GP, since I'm doing side events, I don't think it's comp REL rules. And I have been, you know, I've been do like IQs and PPTQs and all that. So I'm used to comp REL rulings. But as as far as how I expect to perform during the side events, I mean, let, let's be honest, I don't think I'm going to sweep anything because a lot of my decks are, especially modern and legacy, are just not top tier right now. But I'm hoping to do well or decent, you know, I hope to get some tickets to win so I can trade them in at the prize wall. But, you know, we'll see. It, even if I ended up complete losing all the time, I'm still going to have fun and, you know, just got to take it from there. Orcs Head Magic asks, when you sit down with your favorite deck to play, what song comes to mind? Uh, his is Street Fighter 2 performed by Video Games Live. So my favorite deck uh, probably right now is Grixis Delver for Modern. And if I had to choose what song would play, um, I don't know, Foreigner's Cold as Ice. You're as cold as ice because I'm just going to counter everything you do and then bolt, snap, bolt your face. Boom. There you go. Uh, Life Begins at 20. Mark from Life Begins at 20. Yo, what's up, brah? What for you would make magic more enjoyable? Um, I think for me personally, which is very cool, uh, what would make magic for me more enjoyable is probably the cost of magic. It's because I already love the game and I love playing it. Um, the cost is kind of what keeps me away from diving even deeper in it. Um, because once I'm, I love to have multiple decks in a format and, you know, while I can afford to buy those decks, it's just, I don't want to, I don't want to have to spend the money for it. I've already, I've spent enough money in this game and then you just realize, oh man, it's just more and more of a money drain and I get it. It's a hobby and hobbies do cost money if you enjoy them. It's just, yeah, the cost, uh, the reserve list needs to go and just bring prices down. So yeah, that's what would make magic for me more enjoyable. So my buddy Alec from So Your Father's a Nerd and uh, he also has his YouTube channel, uh, Married married gamer i think or crap i forget what it's called um sorry alec but um he asked what is your hands down favorite card of all time and why so i can think of two cards right away first one this is definitely a childhood love card 
and that would be Yavamaya Worm from Urza's Legacy. I can still remember opening up a pack and pulling one of these and one loving the art of it. And for six mana, a six four a trample, holy crap, when I was a kid, that was freaking amazing. Because I still remember my first deck being a mono green worm deck with whatever worms I could conjure up. And I even remember not even having enough forest at the time for it. I had I used other lands just say, hey, they're forest, okay? Um but the other card that I think would definitely be my favorite of all time, and I didn't get one, I didn't pick one up until last year because I don't know, I, I, and I still covet this card to this day. That would be Sliver Queen. It's, I can still remember as a kid someone playing their Sliver deck, and they had Sliver Queen. This was back when I was a kid, um, and Sliver Queen was just such an amazing creature and so powerful at the time, too. Um, yeah, because I, I definitely have a thing for slivers. I used to have a sliver EDH deck, but I took it apart because it was just totally unfun to play against and even play with because it was the same thing over and over again. Get your commander out, tutor up the best slivers, and just rinse and repeat. Um, and it just, it just felt so unfair to play <laughs> against because, yeah. So that would definitely be my favorite card, hands down, Silver Queen. Um, Handsome Matt asks, why are there so many decks that don't use Doomblade? So in case you don't know what Doomblade does, um, it is a one colorless black instant destroy target non-black creature. The reason being why there are so many decks that don't use Doomblade is because there are better alternatives out there for kill spells. Um, Doomblade is definitely a good sideboard card. Uh, the reason why most decks don't want to use that main deck is because if you're up, you're playing against someone else and they have black creatures out and their whole deck is mono black, you know, your Doomblade is now a dead card in your deck. So that's why I would see more people putting it in sideboard, if anything, if they want to use it. But there are better kill spells. Fatal Push being one of them. Um, Path to Exile. Lightning Bolt. Um, you know, just so, so so much stuff out there that's better kill spells than that. Those are just what's top of my head. Abrupt Decay is another one that's really good. That's better than Doom Blade. Um so yeah, that would be a big reason why now, it's really good in other formats like draft or it's even good when it was in standard as sideboard. But like I said, you don't want it in your main board because if your opponent happens to be on black and is playing black creatures, that's a dead card in your hand and you don't want to draw it. Um, Jez Golbez asks, do you like Ixlaxen, Ixalan, I Isalan? And my thoughts on the set. So, as a draft set, it seems fun. Um, you know, pirates or dinosaurs on a flavor side, it definitely seems fun. As far as standard goes for the format, um, standard does feel fun so far right now. And I do like that control is still prevalent and still good in the standard meta right now. So I think the set as a whole has been good for the meta. 
I do like that the checklands have come back for sure because not that they needed to be reprinted. It's just nice to have them back because they are good dual land cards, good rare cards. And but it's definitely, definitely um, an underwhelming set on the power level compared to Kaladesh and Aether Revolt, uh, even Amonkhet and Hour. So we may not see the full strength of this set until after uh, those four sets rotate out next year where we have whatever new sets are coming out because we got we still have uh, the next set. Was it Rivals of Ixalan? And then we've got Dominaria. Then we got the core set. And then we have whatever new set after that. We don't know yet. So we'll just have to wait and see there. And yeah. All right, so that is all the questions I have for this week. And thanks, everybody, for writing me questions. I really appreciate it. I love answering them. Um, they're always fun to answer and all that. So that concludes this week's episode of Magic with Zuby. And hope you all enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me via email at mtgzuby at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on Twitter at MagicWizzuby or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MagicWizzuby. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Also on YouTube as well. And the Gunna Geek Network and PodcastRadioNetwork.net every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. And, you know, what really helps this show is if you like and subscribe on YouTube or if you write reviews on your favorite podcast app, that definitely helps me in the long run. And I appreciate every single one of you who do listen to the show. So thank you and have a great night.